So it's always fascinating to me how fast time travels, right? Uh, it's just a couple of weeks ago that Gina and I were looking at the calendar and realizing that we've now been out here in Los Angeles for a fucking year, right? A year out here since we packed our bags, changed our life, and drove for 10 days across the country to start a new life path, a new career path out here in Los Angeles. And I kind of feel cheated. I'm going to say it. I kind of feel cheated because we move out to a brand new place. We're out here for, what, three months? And then we're in lockdown, like complete and absolute lockdown. Um, and so there's good sides and bad sides. Let's let's look at it both ways, right? The good The good side is that now we are completely comfortable with where we live. We've been here for a year. We know all the, the best places to buy food. We know how to get around town. We know... Uh, we've now set up a system that that is our life and that we can live in. Now, obviously, the negative is just being able to network and being able to go out and about and work, right? Now, Gina's been pretty busy. She's been working in a COVID-friendly uh, production of her own where she's been doing a bunch of music videos and a bunch of music content stuff, which has been phenomenal. And I uh, can't wait for that stuff to be released uh, so that you guys can see it. I've been able to throw in my two cents every once in a while and help her edit. Um, but for me, it's been difficult because I want to get one of these movies going. And I can't, I'm not allowed to talk about any of this stuff continuously. I'm always teasing you guys on the fucking show because I'm not allowed to fucking talk about it. It drives me absolutely insane because I'm not allowed to let these news out. Uh, and so like many of you who are stuck at home dealing with this COVID thing, it's frustrating. And as we look forward, we're always like, okay, so where's the fucking vaccine? What are the protocols? How's this stuff going to work out for us? And especially in the film world, right? In the film business, it's all about hanging out with people, right? You got to go out, you got to network, you got to have meals, you got to write together, you got to collaborate together. You pull together hundreds of people on a set. You guys all cram into one small space and you start shooting a scene, right? And you're completely involved. And even if you're beyond that, then you're in post-production and you're dealing with directing post-production crews and FX crews and editors. And it was a really great interview with uh, Denis, who's directing um, Dune, which you've heard our episodes about that and with Greg Frazier and all those guys. But uh, Denis was talking about how frustrating it is for him to edit with his editor during COVID because they're not in the same room. And there's magic that happens in the same space. There's that magic that happens between two people who are sitting there and they're working together and it's in the air and you feel that and the scenes and the stuff comes together better. There's sort of this distance, the social distancing that happens when you're creating things that makes it more complicated. Now, sure, yes, it can be done. Is it as romantic? No. Is it as much of a great experience? No. Can it still be done? Yes. And so what... I'm happy with on today's show is that we have a guest on today's show who's incredibly talented. Uh, she's an amazing production designer. Um, but more importantly, she's at work right now. And we're recording this show on the 3rd of September. So it's a pre-recorded episode, but she started work in July. And so she's on a set that has been going through COVID protocols and sort of setting up the system in which to enable a crew and a team of people to be working during this craziness. So 
We get into that on this episode. Stick around for that. Uh, we talk about that towards the end of the episode, and I can't wait to uh, just give you guys an example of a good story that's happening during COVID. Um, but in the meantime, I'm very excited to sit down and talk with Eve because, as I've said before on this show, selfishly, I do it to meet people that I would potentially love to work with. And since I've moved out here from the East Coast to the West Coast, I'm on the hunt. I'm on the hunt for some folks out here to work with. And I have been looking through production designers that are local. Um, and her work is phenomenal. So before we begin, do yourself a favor. I always say that on every episode. That should be a t-shirt. Do yourself a favor. Type in Eve, E-V-E, McCarney.com. Okay, so if you go to evemccarney.com, you'll be able to see examples of her work. She did a really good job laying out her website. Now, she's done uh, production design for, for TV shows. She's working on Hulu's Into the Dark Season 2. She's on that, which is being produced by uh, Blumhouse. Uh, she also did a film for A24, The Ballad of Lefty Brown, which has an, an astounding cast, an amazing cast. It's a period, it's a Western film. Um, her work is gorgeous. She does a really good job with vintage stuff. So if you're looking through this stuff and you're like, Mike, we've seen 12 cam, we get it. Yeah. So you can see that she dabbles in the same kind of world that I really dig too. No secret, no surprise why I have her on the show today. Uh, so we're going to get nerdy. We're going to get nerdy about production design. We're going to get nerdy about her process of doing production design because I'd like to learn that. And we're going to get into how she got into the business and, and her, her, um, uh, what her path from being a painter and an illustrator from when she was in kindergarten all the way through working in newspapers all the way up through working for um uh an agency in the commercial world to where she is now so really cool stuff so if you're looking to get into the art world if you're looking to get into production design or propping or any of that stuff you guys are going to find this fascinating if you're someone that is always fascinated with how movies come together or TV shows come together. We get really nerdy about set building and aspects of set building and stuff that makes it feel real. And we also talk a lot about what it's like to go remote and try to production design and build sets remotely. She's talking about doing films in Montana, talking about doing films in Louisiana, all these different places. What's that like to go to another spot? There's excitingness in the travel. This excitement in finding uh, new crews and new people to work with. It's a good episode. It's a really great film crew episode. So that's why you listen to the show. If you feel like I haven't been delivering on that lately, here it is. Here's that episode for you. Uh, and I just want to say before we get started, thank you to everybody who is consistently following me on Instagram at Mike Petchy on Instagram or following the podcast on Instagram. That's in love with the process pod on instagram uh those of you who've been there have been giving suggestions for guests on the show that's how we've been booking a lot of folks is that you've been saying hey i'd like to get so and so on the show perfect do so but if you want bigger and better guests please share all of our graphics if you like this episode if you like last week's episode steal the graphics repost the graphics write to me and say hey i'd like some graphics so that i can tell my friends about your show the more people we have listening to the show, the more people who interact with us, the better the guests are. Because then when I talk to their agents and their management and their, and their, uh, their PR people, they go, well, how many people listen to the show? Oh, yeah, okay, cool. So maybe we'll get them on. So 
definitely interact, definitely share, get your friends to listen because if you would like to hear me talk to bigger and better people, I need your help, okay? And help us out by leaving a review. Leave a review for today's episode. So if you're listening to it on Apple Podcasts, scroll all the way down. I don't know why they fucking put it all the way at the bottom, but scroll all the way down on your app, on your phone, and you'll see reviews. Leave a review for today's show. Leave a review for the podcast, period. Give it stars. Give me five stars. I've been working really hard for you guys. Give me five fucking stars. How's that? Uh, and you can also, I think you can leave reviews on Spotify. We'll find out for sure. I'll help Liam find out. But anywhere you leave reviews for us, anywhere that you can rate the show, what it does is it puts it higher in the algorithm. Because people don't even know it fucking exists. That's the most annoying part about algorithms. It's the most annoying part about the internet is that people don't know the show exists because I can't break through it until multiple people look at it. And once people listen to the show, they're hooked. So please help us out, promote the show, buy a t-shirt, go to our merch page, buy a t-shirt, wear it around your friends, wear it while you're doing your Zoom calls and they'll go, what the fuck is that t-shirt? And then talk about the show. It's a good conversational piece. You're doing me a solid and you're actually affecting the content of this show. Thank you. Everybody listening, really love you guys. Really appreciate it. Happy to be doing this show for as long as I can. So without further ado, it is time to get into a conversation with Eve. So do yourself a favor, go to that place in your house or your apartment Wherever it is that you go and you listen, you shut off the rest of the world, you go to listen to your podcast, you go to listen to this show. Grab your noise-canceling headphones, maybe a nice glass of beer, sit back, relax, and enjoy the brand new episode of In Love With The Process. Hello, Eve. Thanks for joining us on the show. Hi, Mike. <laughs> it's nice to meet you, <laughs> virtually meet you. <laughs> nice to meet you, too. Glad to be here. <laughs> um, so uh, I've been going through uh, your work and i um, very impressed. I'm like a huge fan of uh, production design in general. I'm a huge fan of like really great uh, horror production design. And it seems like... Uh, you're kind of deep in a little bit of all that, including <laughs> some sci-fi stuff, some Western stuff. So uh, just wanted to start out by saying love your stuff. Oh, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. I love, I love it. I love what I do. How long have you been, uh, how long have you been doing production design at this point? About 12 years. Nice. Yeah. Very nice. How'd yeah. you get started? Um, I was actually living in New York and I worked in an advertising agency and I was an art director there and I just was not very, uh, fulfilled at that job. And I started to kind of look around for, for other things. And I was actually watching the Oscars that year. And I was like, Oh, art director. Like, I wonder what I'm an art director. What's the, you know, what's the difference. And so I started to research it, um, and realized, Oh, this really lines up well with all my education and my fine art experience and just some of my natural skill sets. And so I signed up for a job on Craigslist, um, the next week, uh, at, to art direct this short film called Officer Down. Mm -hmm. And I had $300 in three days to figure it out. Um, it was great. It was a really, really good experience. 
those those early experiences always are right when you're when you have like barely anything and you're under the gun and you have to prove yourself and you end up pulling it all together it was it was so wonderful it was challenging um and i think i wore flats the first day i had no clue what i was doing and boy (laughs) did my feet hurt later but um our first day was in a prison in queens and i just walked on to set and into that space and i just knew i was like this is it this is it's exciting it's different it's challenging it's creative um i was making heroin kilos of heroin on my floor in my uh apartment (laughs) to take to a later scene and you know like oh my god my neighbor across the alleyway there's gonna think i'm like a dealer um because i had him stacked up on the table but it was it was just so fun and it was one of those experiences that really changed changed my track and and changed things for me. It wasn't too too long after that that I moved to Los Angeles and really took a shot at doing this for real. Yeah, because that's the because I I recently just did that move myself and eventually because I I started my career on the East Coast as well. I was in Boston and I worked in New York for years. And then you just sort of hit that point where you're like, all right, this is it, right? This is what I'm going to really try it out. And then you end up having to move out here to Los Angeles. Yes. So I, I did work in New York. I did a, a Seinfeld commercial. I mean, this is a long time ago, but it was like season nine on DVD. I did a, it was like a Sony commercial at a small soundstage. I did a couple music videos and I did a couple shorts and then like one, one feature. Uh, and it was just, it was too hard. I couldn't quit my full-time gig at the agency because of the cost of living there. Mm-hmm. And so I was kind of doing these things on the weekend or I would take sick time or holiday or, you know, whatever I could to, to do it. And my boss was actually really good and supportive about it, which was helpful. Um, but I, I did hit a point where I said, okay, if you know, it's, I can't make it work here. It's, it's, the cost of living is too high to survive on unemployment or, you know, without having job after job after job. And it was more challenging to break in in New York, I think, um, mm-hmm. just given the nature of filming there. Uh, so when I came out to, I came out to LA to visit and I had a friend from back East and I stayed at his place in Sherman Oaks and I, and I found that I just really loved the people and I had such a great time and, and I found myself telling people I was thinking of moving and I said it before I even thought it. It was so, <laughs> and I, I went, what? <laughs> and then, uh, it, I went home six months later, I moved and I actually booked a job. I was in Philly, uh, my parents kind of organizing my stuff and, I actually booked a feature out here on a recommendation from a, a friend from high school. So I jumped on a plane and came out and did my first LA feature, which was the Steensters. Um, and I met all my very close friends, still very close friends to this day on that show. Mm-hmm. And then I flew home to get the car and drive back out. Uh, and then I fully uh, moved in and, and it's, it's been wonderful. I've been very fortunate to, to stay working um, for the most part. Awesome. So you did the drive cross country. What, which route did you take? Did you take the northern route or the southern route? Southern route. And uh, my dad came with me. I really, my goal was to get to Nashville. I wanted to see Nashville. It was about 13 hour push from where I grew up. So we got to Nashville, you know, ate some southern food, 
drank <laughs> and listened yeah. to live music. That was like the requirement. We were exhausted, but I was like, we are doing these three things and we found a place where we could do them all at the same time. So that was, <laughs> that was great. Um, and then we did, uh, I wanted to hit Santa Fe. So we hit Santa Fe. We, our last night was in Vegas and then we were, um, into LA. So it was, it was, it was a lot of fun. It was a fun Yeah. Trip. Yeah. We did, we did the opposite. My girlfriend and I drove across the Northern route. We ended up like sneaking up through Canada and then went through like a uh, corn country. It was like corn, corn, cows forever. Uh, but it was fun. It was actually, for me, it was like an important uh, resetting because we ended up, you know, sealing up our lives back on the East Coast and then having to make that transition to the West. And we we spent like a nine-day trip cross country and it was a fucking blast. I was so surprised at how how much fun I had in weird states that you mm -hmm. never really think about you know what i mean yeah i love to travel for work too i it's you get to see so much of the country that way and i've done two features in montana mm. and i love it up there it's and i i always wanted to go and it was it feels a little bit like a manifested wish because i remember reading a book and being like i gotta get out there like this sounds so wonderful and it was not super long after that i booked the first film I did out in Montana and the same happened with Louisiana. I really wanted to go to New Orleans mm -hmm. and I booked a feature in uh, 2010 and I went down there and we, we shot, we were based in Baton Rouge and we shot um, halfway between New Orleans and, and Baton Rouge. Uh, but I was able to get to New Orleans three times on during that time. And it was wonderful. It was so much fun. It's such a vibrant city. Mm -hmm. I've heard amazing things about, I've never been to Montana. I've heard amazing things about Montana, especially like photography wise and visuals. Um, what did you shoot out there? Was that where you did the ballad of uh, lefty? Yes. We shot the ballad of lefty Brown out there in 2016. Um, and the one prior to that was called Falcon song and that mm. was in 2012. And that was a, it kind of a Western, like American, Folktale, I think, is what they, the tagline was. Um, a bit period, it was 80s. So, mm -hmm. But what was fantastic was all the thrift stores out there had everything in the exact period I needed it because <laughs> they tend to be a bit behind. Um, and that, that was a, uh, an, an interesting experience. We were outside billing, so it wasn't as picturesque or as beautiful as other parts of the state. But when we went to do ballad, we were in the southwestern part of the state, and we bounced around quite a bit. I had a cabin in a small town called Twin Bridges and 400 people. It was tiny. Uh, wow. One, yeah, one small grocery and one restaurant I used to eat at. Um, it was, it was wonderful. The people are fantastic. They're so lovely. It's gorgeous just everywhere you look and there's, there's so much wildlife and yeah, I, I ate all of it up. It was such a wonderful experience for everybody on the crew for that show. It must be uh, complicated to go into sort of a secluded spot like that and be able to have the resources um, to put together. I, like, I haven't seen the, the movie yet. And I can't wait to. But did, did you guys do sets for that? Or was it, was it all location-based? Is it all outside? Or what, what were you? It was a mix. So we there was a ranch that we found in Harrison, Montana, that had been built for Lonesome Dove back in the day and wow. it hadn't been used in a really long time so there was quite a bit of repair work and additional building I had to do I had to build an outhouse and a chicken coop and uh, close in the the house with a fence and we had to put windows in because it was all boarded up uh you know clothing lines 
we built a well. We had to repair all the fencing in the corral for next to the barn. The barn was about three feet deep in petrified horse poop um, <laughs> because the, the owners had five horses and two goats and they just kind of, you know, ran the property and, and, but they weren't really, you know, kind of cleaning up after them as it were. So I had two ranch hands take chainsaws because <laughs> we needed to do a scene in the barn. So wow. we had these ranch hands, they were fantastic. And I mean, it took them all day, but they did it and they, and they were good about it. They were, you know, upbeat the whole time, bless their hearts. Um, so there was quite a bit, you know, I had to build a porch and an overhang in the fence, like I talked about, all these other little bits, and then just the repairing of things. And then we had our our homestead, which was a, a big piece of that puzzle. But the interior was small and not really workable. So we shot the interior for that at Nevada City, which mm-hmm. is basically a kind of like a living museum. They've brought these houses from a different part of the state and and they're all period like log cabins. And so they brought those. So we went in there and dressed that and did some wallpapering and, and some things like that to, to create our interiors. Uh, and then we shot in a ghost town, an actual ghost town that was built wow. in 1860 in Bannock, Montana. And it's a museum. It's, you know, it's an open attraction and we, so there were sometimes people around you. You can't really completely shut it down, but they had just restored their hotel. Mm-hmm. So I did the governor's office in there. We had a hotel entry scene. We had a laundry room and just a lot of exterior stuff around there. The challenge with the town was the lumber would not have been as gray as it is 150 years later, mm-hmm. but we were not allowed to stain or alter in any way. Oh, because it's historic. So we use linseed oil to try and bring up the finish of some of it around the hotel where a lot of our shots were. But that was the one thing that kind of always stuck in my craw a little bit. Um, I don't know that many people that watch it no, have that thought. No, that's just you, that's you getting nerdy and about your craft. Most people that are watching it, if they are paying attention to that, then the movie's not good. You're right. <laughs> Um, it was, it was fantastic. Bill Pullman is lovely. Uh, we had Tommy Flanagan, we had Jim Caviezel, we had Kathy Baker, Mm -hmm. really, really amazing, uh, cast and everybody, you know, it was a labor of love because it, it was not a very, it was still on the smaller side given the ass, given it's 1889. What was the, uh, what was the budget for that one? Do you know, was it like a 5 million or was it, was it above? I think it was ended up being eight. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. At the end of the day, but that wasn't our, like our shooting budget. Um, yeah, yeah. that would have been with everything after, but, uh, but I did, I was able to bring a little bit of crew from LA, which helped a couple people. And we shopped the interiors almost exclusively in LA and at Warner brothers and universal. Uh, okay. And I brought a five ton out. Um, because we could rent, we could rent or borrow or, you know, items there, but they're actually priceless. And the thought of bringing something <laughs> antique, true antique in somewhere where grips are going to be in uh, electricians and just crew in general, it's just, it just seemed too scary. And Universal and Warner Brothers are used to their stuff being damaged or coming back. Right, right, Missing right, right. pieces. So, um, yeah. So, but what, what was fantastic about, both of those prop houses is they both carry a lot of stuff from that period. Mm-hmm. And they've even rewired some of their period lamps to be electric 
but looked nice. gas. And, and that was huge. I really geeked out on the light. Like I shopped a bunch of the lighting myself and I, I went nuts shopping the lighting. It was so fun. Um, just like making sure that we were getting what we needed. That was gas and that was period. But then knowing that the electrics could actually, they, they built these really cool bulbs using wax and LED filament. Hmm. And they were controlled by a dimmer board, but they would flicker like lamplight. Oh, and it yeah, was nice. wild. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Our fixtures guy had been the fixtures foreman on the Magnificent 7. So he had just done a bunch yeah. of this. And so we yeah. were very lucky to get him. And uh, and it looked fantastic with with the combination of the old period lamps with, you know, being able to control the light in that way. That's very cool. Very cool. Yeah, the stuff. I mean, I, like I've seen the trailer for it and I've seen the footage and it looks beautiful. Thank you. Yeah, I'm very proud of it. It was it was tough, you know, it was kind of round the clock type of work the entire time I was there and leading up to it. I, I pretty much started working right after my first scout in July. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, we were out there for a couple months and I, the, Montana weather is interesting. In September, it would start off 30 degrees in the morning when it was still dark <laughs> and by lunch it'd be 70. Jeez. So, um, I came, you know, we were there in the summer to early fall and, you know, back East, that's, you know, light coat weather. Um, I didn't have enough. I had to go and buy a bunch of extra stuff because it was so cool. Like you needed gloves, you needed a hat. I needed a puffy jacket, uh, for those mornings. And so, uh, and then we left beginning of October and that's when it really started to, to get cold. Yeah. Um, But it, it was, you know, it was stunning. It was just so beautiful. And the people are, they're just so wonderful salt of the earth, like do anything for you. So happy to help it. it, You kind of forget about that when you work in LA and everybody's kind of used to the business and maybe even a little jaded by it, right? Like, Oh, don't come to my neighborhood. I don't want you in studio city or whatever, but out there they're so excited and they want to know everything about it and they want to, you know, can we be in it and you know, what can we do to help you? And so it was, it was great. That sounds awesome. Well, to pivot a little bit here, um, what uh, what's your process for for uh, getting uh, like at least for prepping stuff, especially when you're working on independent cinema like that? What is your process uh, with the with the director? Do you like to meet with the director ahead of time and spend some time and sort of figure out what they like, or are you just sort of coming in last minute? Like, how has your process been? So, to use the example, it, it varies, but for for that. Sp- particular film, I met, Jared interviewed a lot of designers and I really wanted it. And he was pretty unhappy. He's very particular. Um, mm-hmm. and it makes him great. I'm what he turns out is, is beautiful. So, um, I get it. Uh, I went in with a very thorough presentation and I had done, I, I do so much research, especially when it's period that's, it's really all about the research. And so I had the research of the period and then I had ideas for how I'd want to style certain things and how they should look. And then I had the research of Montana itself, which was just kind of for me, but I found Bannock. I, so he had previously scouted and knew he wanted to shoot in Bannock. And then I was like, Oh, there's this really great town called Bannock. And he's like, that's where I want to shoot. And I was like, Oh yeah, I thought it looked really good. So we had this moment where he's just like, you know, okay. <laughs> she, she found the place I want to shoot in and it, and it's kind of hard to find. And so we, that kicked us off. We were, we were on the same page from the beginning. 
So Mm -hmm. then it just evolved as far as, okay, you know, now we're getting into more specifics of more targeted mood boards, you know, more specific set dressing, paint colors, wallpaper swatches, things like that, the textures and the colors and the types of glass on the, on the lamps and things like that. And, and and then the DP, you know, started being looped into all of that as well. So definitely a collaboration, um, into the, the series I'm on now, it's a little different because our prep time is more uh, accelerated. So <laughs> yeah, that's the difference, it. right? That's the difference between TV and features, right? Yes. And so in a, in a feature world, I'll usually I've done, I've created a vision or most of one by the time I meet the director for the first time in an interview. And mm-hmm. then if that lines up, it's kind of off to the races. It's, it's almost always worked out that way for me where they've been like, they've gotten it and they, they like it. So that's, that's been really fortunate. Uh, and then you go from there and that's our basis. And then we just build from that. And I always like to meet with the director, um, open dialogue, talking all the time, emailing, you know, what about this? What do you think about this? I had an idea about this. Oh, we can't shoot over here. Okay. We need to find a new place. Let's, what about something like this? You know, kind of shaping the story in that way. Cause a lot of times it, it falls to me to come up with a solution. If something doesn't go our way, mm-hmm. then it's like, what do we do? And and it could be changing the story in a way. It becomes a different set entirely, something else we hadn't thought of. And that that's always been a lot of fun because you feel like you're really involved at that point in the storytelling and creation. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, so with, with Into the Dark, we have a different director and we have – executive producers, we don't really have the showrunner. So I did Lies on Demand, I had the showrunner. So they were really the creative forces and we did have a good amount of prep time together. And then the directors come in and, you know, zhuzh a little, but sure. with Into the Dark, it is a completely different director each each episode. So I meet them, I'm already on, you know, they're, they, they're not like approving me. It's like, here I am. <laughs> like, I hope you get along. <laughs> right, here's, your, here's your set. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, here, here, here's what I think. And um, so I do the same thing. I create mood boards and an impression of what, you know, what I think things should look like. And then we're scouting. Um, and a lot of the times I have a leg up on the location scouting too. Like I'll, I'll have, especially cause we're in town and I know so much of what's around. I'll mm-hmm. say, I think we should do this, this and this here. I think we should do this here. I think we can do this over here and we're limited with our moves. So I have to back into Right. A certain amount. I have to group things together in a certain way. So at this point, I'm on my second to last episode. I've, I'm quite adept at it now. Uh, initially, it was a little, you know, mind bending. Um, but so so it, yeah, it varies depending on the project. But I definitely love to meet with them as much as possible, find out where their heads at, sh- show my vision, you know, pull back on things that maybe don't match theirs, and then add in, and then refine, 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 and. And then we're into the set plans and what are we building and um, what are the textures and colors and things like that. Okay, guys, you know the deal. It is time to give thanks and love and respect to the people that support the show. And I'm not talking about you guys you guys get enough for me. Those of you who are out there sharing the graphics and those of you who are out there buying our t-shirts, uh, thank you all. 
But in the meantime, let's talk about my buds over at Puget Systems. If you are a production designer, if you're somebody who is using Photoshop, if you're using CAD, AutoCAD, you're trying to design sets and you wanna have a computer that will run faster, the renders will happen faster. If you're someone that is a video editor, if you're a photographer using Photoshop, do yourself a favor. Now that you get that pinwheel of death and your machine's not fast enough, go pick up a PC. <gasps> PC, he says, yes, PC. But PCs crash. What is this, the fucking 90s? Grow up. <laughs> PCs run stable. All that old myth doesn't exist anymore, guys. If you build a stable PC, it is faster, it is more cost effective. You'll be able to custom build it with the hardware that is required to do your tasks. So can you imagine that? Actually building a tool that works for the project you're doing, as opposed to going to a website and only having three selections and then having them tell you how to run your fucking shit because the tool only does what they wanted to do. That drives me crazy about other companies that do this shit. That's why I found Puget Systems. I did the hard work for you guys because I know the task of building your own PC can be a pain in the ass, can be stressful. A lot of people don't know how to build computers, right? I was lucky enough to learn when I was younger because I was a gaming nerd. I had a bunch of friends that used to build computers and I watched how they did it. But it's still a pain in the ass because then you're like, okay, does this hardware work with this hardware? Is this compatible with this RAM? What the fuck works? When you're in the business that we're in, when you need a new tool, you need to unpack it, you need to get going. You have to find a company that out of box builds computers that you can just turn on, right? I, I did the hunt, I found Puget Systems. The thing I love about Puget Systems is that they're family run business. They're a very small, they're a smaller company, uh, which means that you actually talk to real fucking people, real people right for customer support customer service to build your systems go to PugetSystems.com. there you can choose a system based upon the software that you're using they have uh, a couple of baseline packages to start with and then what they love to do is communicate with their customers so you can actually contact them and say here's how much money i have here's the weird project that i'm doing i'm building this thing that requires this thing that doesn't exist anywhere else how the fuck can i pull it together and they will give you all of their time benchmark testing hardware, all their experience, building machines, and they will help you create a custom computer for your budget. Think about that. Real customization, real interaction with people. It's exciting, isn't it? Don't believe me? Go to PugetSystems.com and check it out. And if you're someone that isn't from the US and you're like, well, Puget doesn't ship to us, it's okay. They have consultation programs there as well. I think for as low as like 500 bucks, you can talk to them and they will help you walk through the, the hardware that you need to build a, basically your own Puget system remotely. So it's pretty cool. Instead of like going through and Google searching and being like, okay, so the new graphics card, is that the one to get? Believe it or not, guys, here's a little tip. The latest stuff for hardware doesn't necessarily work well with Premiere or with After Effects. So you wanna talk to folks that are testing these things, that are benchmark testing these things. So go to PugetSystems.com and check it all out. Also supporting the show, as always, our good friends over at Quasar Science. I've said this before, I will say it again, I love lighting. And one of my favorite things about cinema, about TV right now, is how good everything looks, right? The cinematography is amazing, and that's because of the advancements in lighting. 
and the huge advancements that have happened with LED technology. So you can get your hands on really great units, very cool tubes like Quay, uh, Quasar makes these amazing uh, bicolor tubes or rainbow LED tubes that don't require much power, right? A lot of these things can, are running off battery. I know they have new battery setups on their website right now. Um, they don't run hot, meaning your sets don't, it's not like 110 degrees on your set because you're running a bunch of tungsten units, okay? And they have a very low footprint. So if you're driving around in some small hatchback, right? Or maybe you're bicycling over there. These things don't weigh a lot. They could fit in the back seat. No big deal. I have people asking me all the time, Mike, we love your lighting. Thank you. Thank you for those of you who say that. I really appreciate it. Um, but what do you have in your kit? I got to do a kit episode where I walk through. Let me know if you guys want me to do a lighting kit episode. Those of you listening through the fucking ads, uh, do me a favor and write to me. And let me know if you guys want me to talk about what I have in my lighting kit. Because I know everybody gets nerdy about gear. What do you have for gear? It's going to make my shit so cool. No, it's not. But I'll tell you what I have. And I'll show you what I have. Um, but what I have in my kit right now is I've definitely got a bunch of bicolors from Quasar. And I'm rainbow LED from Quasar. I love, love, love their stuff. And you've seen me use it on my productions. You've seen some of my later stuff and been like, wow, how'd you pull that off? Quasar tubes. Boom. So go to quasarscience.com, join the fun with the rest of us using their amazing LED lights. That's quasarscience.com. Okay, and as always, our good buddies over at Industry Jump, those of you looking to join a community, if you need, if you're, okay, maybe you're filming out in the middle of nowhere, right? You've taken my advice and you've stayed in your hometown and you've started to create productions but you need to find crews, you need to find teams, you need to find mentors, right? Uh, there are a bunch of great places for it. One of the places that we love is Industry Jump. Go to industryjump.com. There you can become part of a community. They'll help promote your work. You can find the people that they're promoting. You can find fellow crew people. Uh, it's a great place. Or you can follow them on Instagram. That's at industryjump on Instagram. They promote the show and we're more than happy to promote them. So, yes. And uh, let's see. Other than that, Code Electro. He's the man. The music you're listening to in the background all the time. Code Electro. Love his stuff. I think it's just... Let me look it up. Yes. If you go to CodeElectro.com, super simple. Let's spend some time talk about our good friend Martin over there. So what's you got going on over here at CodeElectronaut.com? Sign up for a newsletter. Uh, ooh, he's doing a live music artist talk, sci-fi vinyl and live music. That's cool. What's he got cranking around in his store right now? Oh, oh, fuck yeah. So his vinyls are great. And you guys know, if you've been listening to the show, you know that I am obsessed with vinyls lately. And then uh, Gina bought me a record player for my birthday this year. So I have I knew I was going to do it. I was afraid of it. I've been just sinking cash into vinyls, right? Code Electro's vinyls are amazing. He's uh, got the vinyl up there right now for Nevermind the Solar Wind, which is a lot of the newer stuff that you've heard on the show, which is great. Uh, looks like he still has uh, Code Electro 3 is up there. Uh, Super Strings is sold out. We used a lot of Super String stuff on the early episodes of the show. Uh, and it looks like Wolf is still there. 
so it's great he has a bunch of really good vinyls uh t-shirts uh you could stream his stuff download his stuff i know he's been putting out a lot of the tracks from his live tour that he did prior to covid and for those of you who actually got to go see him live his video stuff that he was playing and projecting there i actually cut for him so him and i got together i cut a bunch of like live music videos for him so go check all this stuff out go to codeelectro.com okay guys let's get back into the episode Yeah, so for for my films, the, the, the two films that I've been doing, um, my stuff is very production design heavy. And nice. some of it, I did um, a piece, I'll have to send you some stuff. I did a piece called 12 Cam, which was a period piece about a Russian drill team in the 1980s that dug the deepest hole known to man. And we had to build the basic drill location with all of this uh, period um sound gear and sound equipment and wow. uh i was looking at your lab conditions uh piece the short film that you had mm -hmm. done uh and a lot of the same sort of gear and a lot of that period gear and i was chuckling about it because when we did our piece it was very sort of micro budget so it was very difficult um i remember talking to who was my production designer at the time and they're like how the how the hell are we going to get <laughs> Russian 1980s Russian gear and so one of the tricks that we did is that we changed the script and we had it so that these guys were off the off the grid they weren't getting stuff from the Russian government anymore and they had to go to the black market and buy American gear oh, okay. and that was the story change that we ended up having to do specifically because we couldn't get our hands on 1980s period props um, but uh, yeah no when I was looking at your lab condition stuff it was like the, the the vetroscopes the oscilloscopes like all that mm -hmm. stuff it's very fun i love that kind of period stuff like that old 1980s sure. blocky um props and stuff like that it's really cool if you do another because as soon as you said russian military you know lcw popped into my head they if if you're ever on another feature or short or anything where you need that kind of stuff, oscilloscopes, all of that. A, a big portion of what I had on that set was from uh, La Canada West props and they're in Glendale. Uh -huh. uh, they have, and they have old submarine stuff, which would have probably been really good for you for oh, yeah, to totally. do the Russian. Yeah. Uh, Cause we just did, we just did I, my last episode that's aired for into the dark is called the current occupant. And we had this sessions room, which is a, kind of like a mind-bending psychological experiment of sorts where there's this huge TV and he's fed all this visual imagery. And I used some old kind of 80s like ship decks that had all the lights and like control panels and stations. Oh, and we even cool. took something from a submarine and hung it on the wall. I just like the way it looked just to have something techie interesting in the background. And we used servers, 1950s servers and 1970s servers as some of the main dressing in that set. I, I always, I have a part of my aesthetic, I think is vintage mm -hmm. kind of leaning into older things. I think they're more interesting. Mm -hmm. uh, and I just, I always tend to, if I can skew that way a bit and not completely and not every single time, but I find that that's where I lean. And so at this point in my career, I just kind of lean into it. I guess it's mm -hmm. my thing. Um, so I'm always trying to inject a little bit of that you know, vintage or sen sentimentality of, of 
times gone by into things that we had concepted as a 70s period piece by the time we shot it it was like oh this is any time kind of, you know and and the director and I looked at each other and we're like no we're doing it like legit 70s period like through and through and so everything is is period within that period nothing in there is newer than that but it yeah. does have kind of a surreal timeless quality to it in the that's, way it was shot that's exactly what i was going to say is that it's the timelessness of it which i really love because as soon as you start putting a lot of modern stuff in it if you're putting in iphones if you're doing yeah a lot of that modern props then the suspension of disbelief is a little bit harder i think especially since when you're dealing with horror and you're dealing with suspense and you know anybody can literally contact anybody at any moment right now you start getting into the modern stuff and you're like mm. yeah it gets it gets a little bit more challenging to be scary in that environment. It does, yeah. We we've come up against that on a couple episodes where, well, why are they in this predicament if they have a cell phone? You know, and so it's like we have to find a way for them to lose that phone at some point so that then they're in this you know true danger that we really need to make the story work because. And I was like, let's do a period, let's do a fifties period. Like I'm always pushing for, yeah, let's come at this from a different a different angle. Let's do something post-apocalyptic. Let's do, you know, I, I love to push the boundaries of, of genres and the different styles. I just think it's more interesting if there's some element like that to it. Yeah. And it, even if it comes down to uh, just the wardrobe itself too, where it's like, okay, so the cuts are a little bit different on the clothing. The silhouettes look a little bit different, which I like. And then um, it isn't, you know, it isn't a piece of it isn't something that, you know, is essentially sitting on the rack at H&M right now. You know what I mean? So it's magical. It feels more magical. And it feels more uh, manipulated as far as, like, controlling the entire space. And I, I always say that, like, a, a good film smells good. And mm -hmm. I know it makes absolutely no sense. But when I think a big portion of that is the production design. And what you're looking at and how that room feels. And, and a lot of that has to do with the lighting in that space as well. But um, lighting is only as good as what, you, what you're putting on. And exactly. so if, if you've got some really crappy like seams on a set or if you have uh, a very sparsely sort of uh, propped out space, it's just you, it's like turning the lights off because I got nothing really to photograph. Exactly. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's, it's interesting because – in the general public, I don't think there is an awareness of how important the, that job, my job is. A big time. They just kind of, oh no, they just went into a house and like shot. And it's like, oh, <laughs> you know what that house looked like before we got in there? You know? And on our current episode, um, it was like all white walls, kind of a Spanish, but a very odd, very odd architecture. Spanish elements, but then square doorway you know rectangular doorways and so not the rounded and so um, very mixed styles which worked to my favor for the what I wanted to do I wanted to bring it uh down a little and make it a little more again I kind of leaned into period a little bit but I did mm -hmm. wood paneling and wallpaper our, the the house goes through phases um and then we peel it back and then we did all this you know we painted the paneling did all this fresh paint and it was such a transformation from what it was originally and then from our phase one to our then our phase two and in, in the story and i that's the stuff that i love the location uh rep for there the site rep was like oh my god like 
this looks incredible. I can't believe what you guys did and I, you know, how fast you're working. And, um, and it's, it's always nice to hear that. And being in a real environment sometimes, especially on a smaller budget is really helpful because it feels so real compared to what a stage might feel like if you don't yeah. really have the resources. Yeah. Um, but I always come at, if I am building sets, I do love to build. It's something I always strive to do. And I've been able to do some builds on this series. Um, is to have it feel real, to have it feel like a location. I don't want it to feel like a set. I don't want anybody to know we're on stage. I want it to feel like a real location. And on Liza On Demand, our first season, we built. I built an apartment on, on stage and mm-hmm. our hero apartment. And the the editor, the showrunner told me this. The, he was in with the editor, and the assistant editor had given him all the good bits to work with. So he didn't see off the set at all to his credit but he said harry what a cool location <laughs> and harry goes he thought your your set was a location you know and i went oh my god i went that's been that's like the best compliment he could give me Hell and yeah. you know harry told him and i i was so happy with that comment and so that's always the the goal in in puka lives ellie's house in the opening with will wheaton um mm-hmm. that is we built that in a cafeteria in simi valley that was, cool. you know, and that's right around the time all the fires were happening up there. We actually did get evacuated one day while we were shooting that set because there was a fire across the, the highway from us. Uh, but that was that was tough. You know, we needed a we needed a split level because we later in the story, someone comes out of the floor. So we had to have it up on steel deck and, you know, have the stairs up and it was a two level. And then I wanted the another set of stairs to imply an upstairs, obviously. So it feels like a real house. And, um, and I'm very, very happy with how it turned out. I thought it looked really fantastic. And I think it look, I feel like it looks real when I watched it. And so that's what I'm always looking for. I honestly, selfishly, one of the, the one of the things I love, love, love about directing and, and being on set is that I can actually walk on sets. And when you come, when you come up with an idea or you develop something in your mind and you're like, okay, you know, here's this world. Uh, I'm always stressing myself out because I'm like, how far does my imagination stretch? You know what I mean? And how much of this can I see? And so I, the longer I've been doing this, the more excited I get to collaborate with people because they fill in the blanks. And I think one of the biggest spots, well, two of the biggest spots for me, one is wardrobe because I've never been a type of person that can look at clothes on a rack and go, that's what it's going to look like. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Sure. And, and then two is production design. These two places are so magical to me because uh, the, the the gaps get filled. And so on the sets that I've been on for the movies that I've done, I, I, I'm always astounded because of the amount of time, the turnaround time. Uh, the art team is the one, they're the ones that are busting their ass all the time. They're the first ones there, they're the last ones to go. Like it's it's brutal. And when you finally walk onto that set, like right before you're going to roll, I love that. And the lights roll on and you just sort of walk through and you can breathe in that space. It's so magical. It's such a magical thing. Absolutely. Um, and I think that's why people love Disney Disney World and Disneyland and shit. Because mm-hmm. essentially it's just production design sets, which are really cool. Sure. And Halloween, just to piggyback off of that, Halloween Horror Nights at Universal uh, I started going there right when I first moved out here. I love, I love horror. I love Halloween. Mm-hmm. And I was amazed at the quality and the level of scenic work and construction that are put into those temporary sets for 
for this one holiday, I, I, I always touch the walls and stuff when I walk through to try and like see what they're using and, you know, absorb it all. And I just remember being really, really blown away by the level of detail. And, and then, you know, it's like, well, you're in Hollywood, you know, this is, this is the place for it. So obviously they're going to have the best painters and the best designers and the best dressers and decorators doing, doing these. And it shows it's, it's so impressive and it's, it's so fun. And, and now that they're doing the ones that are themed after movies, the last time I went probably two years ago now was they had a shining Ooh. maze and part of, yeah. And it was, it was great. It was so cool. It was really oh, creepy. I, I um, doubt they're going to do it this year because of the yeah, fucking virus. I think you're right. They would already be well into it. They start in August. So uh, I don't, it, uh, I just think it's too, unless they do an open air and then maybe they could do some open air stuff with no ceilings. Mm-hmm. You know, because then you're technically outside. Maybe, maybe they could do something like that. But yeah, I think the the actual. I remember my first year out here. They had the Halloween house, the house on oh, Halloween, so cool. and it was. They had the whole facade and everything. And I'm like, oh my god, I'm, like, this I'm is dying because <laughs> I would love to go. I would love to go see it. It's such a bummer they're not doing this year. But I love, yeah. love, love, love that stuff. God. Me too. Super cool. And when you when you mentioned because you were talking about sets and building sets, and you mentioned ceilings, one of the things that I haven't had a chance to do, and I think it's a budgetary thing ultimately, but one of the things that I've always wanted to do when I build sets is actually put ceiling pieces in there because I've seen, I think David Fincher does it really well, and I think he was talking about it on Alien Three, which was a nightmare production for him. But on Alien Three, they would just build sections of ceiling to be able to put them in some of the shots, which helped make the set or make the scene feel like it was on location. Because mm-hmm. one of his pet peeves with sets is that you never really see the ceilings in them. Mm-hmm. So um, I love that theory. I love the idea of that. But like I said, it's a budgetary thing. I'm sure when you're dealing with uh, whoever the line producer is and they're like, how much does it cost to put the fucking ceiling up there? <laughs> well, totally. And it's there's different kinds. So um, speaking of David Fincher, I was working at Paramount on a show called Super Ninjas. Uh, it was a, one of my early mentors, a production designer named uh, Anthony Tremblay. Mm-hmm. I was working with him and they were doing these really a Nickelodeon show, but it was kind of fantasy and there was this whole cave set and they did like a roof with a clock tower and they were doing a lot of really, really fun stuff. Uh, mm-hmm. It was amazing to be a part of that and around that. And they were also building miniatures to show for approval. Super cool. Super cool. Yeah, he's fan- he's really skilled at doing the miniatures and and then they would use some of them were to shoot certain scenes and certain parts of scenes that were ungettable at um, for their show and so while we were there I feel like it was the first girl with the dragon tattoo. I'm almost positive was on stages adjacent to us and I was able to peek in and see their mm-hmm. sets. They had hard ceilings. Hard ceilings have to be picked to the ceiling. Uh, for safety. So they have to be on wires. So they're built and they'll look like a, a very real ceiling because they are, that's what they are. And they'll be lowered down onto the set and then they can be pulled up for lighting. Super cool. If, if there's fire or safety, but it's extremely expensive. And it was the first time I had, it was 2011. It was the first time I had seen that. And I was like, whoa, like yeah. what? that's so cool, you know? And it was so involved and there were so many sets and, um, uh, most of the shows I've done, we've done the ceiling flats, which is muslin mm-hmm. stretched around a frame of one by three, and that gets painted 
whatever color, your ceiling color, your wall color. And then it's exactly what you said. You bring it in if you're shooting a certain direction and you're going to be low angle uh, shooting up and you need that ceiling there, then you can put it in. The second season of Liza, they because our ceiling, because our flats were only 10 feet high, they were running into trouble more often than not with mm-hmm. having, because one of our actors was 6'3". Yeah, so okay, yeah, <laughs> it was for challenging sure, for, sure. for the DP. So second season, we said, okay, we're going to we're gonna build four ceiling flats because they were moving them around. They were, I, I engineered it so there were two that could pretty much flip anywhere on the set that they needed, but mm-hmm. the time it took and the, and the grips to get up there and do it. And so I talked to my construction coordinator and said, okay, we're going to build four. We had a, like a jigsaw piece that was over the uh, kitchen because there was this pillar in the way and then we had two pieces for the living room and then we had another one for our hallway and we almost had the entire thing covered but you could slide it a little bit and that worked and it and then we added some headers to Mm -hmm. hide the seams Mm -hmm. um and that worked really well and the dp was so grateful and so happy that we were able to do that because it saved him so much time on the day and oh yeah and then he could see it and and you know if you do it right it looks great Um, it can look really good, but seams are a thing. You can only get rolls of muslin that are a certain width. So you have to account for that in the design. You have to have headers or Mm -hmm. some sort of structural piece that will just work its way into, to the hiding of those seams. Yeah. 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 That's very cool. That's very cool. Mm -hmm. So when you're doing stuff, because I've had, uh, I've had cinematographers on that have done television shows, talking to the cinematographer that does the expanse and he was just saying the radical difference between shooting a feature and shooting a tv show for him is that he is he's like stretched out so completely where oftentimes he's not even on set while they're shooting he's pulled off and he's he's doing something else and his camera team is just pulling together what he needs to do because he's got to be in front of this crazy schedule is it the same way for you? Are you always on set when they're shooting? Are you always there tweaking? Are you t- two sets ahead and, and leaving that to like the onset uh, dressers? Yeah, I'm, I'm ahead. So I guess for TV, I, I definitely don't have the time. Usually I'm there quite a bit early on in the episode. Uh, this, this current episode, because of all the changeovers, I was popping in. I popped in almost not every day. I've popped in three days this week and every day last week, but we're now this week, I'm starting to prep the next one heavily. Mm -hmm. So now I'm no longer really available to do that. And we're also kind of through our toughest part. Uh, So I I like to be, the director is comfortable with me. I like to walk the set with her when we're opening something new. I want to make sure that she's happy with the changes. So we had several big changes that happened in our first week. So I was there for each to walk with the director and say, what do you think? How do you feel? And, and talk about notes with her and my decorator. Mm-hmm. Um, and then otherwise my decorator, my art director will, will open set. Uh, features is a little different on ballad. I was pretty much around most of the time because we were kind of striking as we went. So we, when we were at the town, like I was, we were there every day because I was prepping other sets in the town that were coming up with my team, mm-hmm. but then popping in on set. And so, you know, with a show like that where you're really spread apart, where it's like 40 minutes to the next location, um, we did as much prep as we could before shooting started. And and then I've been on some features that are even smaller than that where I have been on set uh, mm-hmm. just because 
I'm there and I'm supporting that process mm-hmm. where if, if we're a smaller crew, but at, at this point in my career and in, in the last, you know, several years, I'm not on set that much. Liza, our offices were upstairs. So when we were at the apartment, I would pop down sometimes and be a village. Um, I would always come down if we were doing something drastic to the set or if there was a, a, some big piece in the story that, that was art related, right. I would always try to be there because it makes the showrunners happy and the director happy to, to have you there. And if there's any questions, but you know, you have, you have your team for that. So mm-hmm. I have an onset dresser. I have two to three prop people that are managing that side of things. You know, I'm in talks with special effects whenever that's something that's happening. Yep. And then, depending on what's going on, maybe a standby carpenter or painter. So you have all those, those people in place to, to make sure things run while you're, while you're not there. So, you know, so I'm not on set today and I won't be on set tomorrow. And I, I like being on set to a point, but I also really (laughs) don't like being on set. It's, it's a weird thing for me. It's just, it's very, you know, it's very hectic always. And it's, there's a lot happening and I just, I love being part of the before and, yeah. the, and the kind of the during, but I thrive in, okay, I'm on to the next thing. Like I'm currently now prepping this next episode. So now I'm, my mind's going crazy about what are we going to do for this and that and thinking about those sets because I've, I've done my job on, on the current episode. Well, before the shooting team shows up, those sets are kind of your world at that point because you, you guys are the ones putting it together. So it's yeah. like you have absolute control over that environment. Yes, I, and I, I believe it. That's where I really love to live in the early prep phases with the, the concepting and the designing and the collaboration and then in the execution of that vision in the space prior to shooting. But once shooting crew lands, I am kind of scarce. It's, mm. I'm there, I'll be there in the morning, I'll walk around, but it's, it's not my job to be there. My job is to, you know, put everything in place and put that team in place and deliver on the vision. And then, especially on a show like the one I'm on, I have to then focus my attention on the next thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you're trying to stay in front of that train. That's right, funny. we're three weeks out as of Tuesday for the next, shooting the next one. Wow. Yeah, wow. so, and so we're, we're, we're starting to really dig in. So I'll be scouting uh, next week and, you know, we have a page turn tomorrow. And so I'm, I'm into all of those things um, right now. And, and I, and it's, it's perfect timing because I feel like the current episode is in a really good place and we've done our work mm-hmm. and the people in place are going to manage it. And now I'm off to the next thing. And so it's a good system. You just have to have the right people in place. And I was going to ask that too. So do you, do you hire most of your crew? Are you the one putting together your crew? And uh, do you have your, your cast of characters that you're consistently using? Yes, for the most part. Uh, sometimes I'm involved with the keys. So my decorator I've been working with for years and she, she actually left the show for a while and I got another decorator I work with in and then she didn't want to come back after COVID. So Mm-hmm. the original decorator came back, which was great. It worked out for everybody. Um, so uh, Sandy is my decorator and she will hire her guys. She'll ask my opinion. I know guys too sometimes, but that's really her world to manage. So if she wants opinions or help, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to do it, but right. it's, it's really her deal. And we were gifted our onset from the previous 
regime and she was killing it and everybody likes her. So we kept her on and she's fantastic. Effects uh, was also on. So they, they didn't come from me, but they're great. Mm-hmm. And our director, of course, I hire, we brought in a new uh, coordinator and, and we got a PA. And so I, I'm very active in hiring uh, and, and then obviously the prop master. And he's somebody I've worked with multiple times over the years and he's fantastic. Uh, he does a lot of bigger stuff now. It just worked out that he happened to be available in our, in our timeline. So that was very fortunate for us. That's cool. That's very cool. Mm-hmm. And how, how's, uh, so you're shooting right now, which is crazy. How's, how's the COVID fucking, uh, production yeah. stuff working out for you guys? It's, it's tricky. It's, it's a learning curve and it's a big one, but we're figuring it out. I feel, I felt comfortable right from the beginning with how serious they were taking it, the safety of it and everything I was hearing I was very relieved and happy to feel that way. And my agent was checking in on me early on repeatedly, (laughs) making sure I felt safe, which was also really nice to know that, you know, somebody else is looking out for me. And, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, we had our, we had our COVID training with, um, a sergeant in the, in the army who was at a field hospital with a bunch of COVID people and, and also helping out New York during their crisis. And, um, so she, it was very thorough. It was great information to have. We are being tested, just got tested yesterday. Mm-hmm. Uh, zone A is being tested three times a week. Zone B is being tested once a week. Um, and you know, we're, we're, we're figuring out working in a practical location, like a house is more challenging than it would be if you were on stage. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of the stuff that's coming back now is stage based. So we're a little unique in that way where we're smaller and we're also, location-based um but we're you know signs up zone answers here zone b enters here you know not commingling keeping our distance from each other well that's fascinating too because a lot of listeners that are that aren't working right now are curious about this stuff what is the zone a zone b stuff is that just different different crew people that aren't allowed to mingle with each other is that how that works you can you can yes to when it comes to being on set so zone a is basically the actors and anybody that will be near them, which Mm -hmm. is your director, your DP, your first AD, the onset dresser, the first AC, usually the second AC, um, your gaffer and your key grip all kind of fall into that. And then pretty much zone B is almost everybody else. And zone C is executives that are work from home. Uh, Right. So the goal is to keep keep the actor safe is the number one priority. So zone B people don't go anywhere near the actors. That's pretty, uh, pretty firm, but I've, I have to dialogue with zone A sometimes cause they're part of my team. Mm-hmm. So you just, you know, we're all wearing masks all the time. They're wearing eye protection as well. Uh, some people are wearing the visors like the, um, shields, mm-hmm. uh, like hair, makeup and wardrobe, uh, are wearing those. And the director I've seen her and the DP also, and they're in close contact with the actor, uh, so we're just trying to keep everybody safe and healthy. And, you know, if I have to talk to my onset, we'll just stand kind of apart and talk and with our masks on and it, we've been able to work it out. Luckily we're at a ranch. So there's a lot of outdoor space. Mm. So yeah, it's, yeah. we're not cramped in, in a, in a small house in the middle of like a city or mm-hmm. uh, something. We're out in Thousand Oaks. <laughs> so it's, um, there's plenty of room for people to spread out and be safe when they're not in this set and all the more reason to keep people, you know, as much 
as many people out of the set as possible just to keep that down. Yeah, because it's risky for the, I mean, the actors can't wear masks. The actors can't wear masks all day. So right. that that's the risky element there. It's like, how do you keep it? To, and then, then if your actor goes down, then the whole thing goes down. So That's exactly it. it. And that's yeah. the fear with so much right now is, you know, I go down and maybe I'm still working from here and... You know, mm-hmm. it's or my art director steps up or whatever. It's not, it's not, it doesn't shut us down, but there are certain people that if they do get sick, it would shut you down. There's no way around it. So, especially if it's your, your story is two people and that's the gist of it and you lose one of them. So, um, I did the tape, the testing schedule has made us feel really great. I, me personally has made me feel very safe. We have two COVID people. We have like a COVID manager and a COVID supervisor and they're taking your temperature check daily and you're getting wristbands for your zone. And, you know, we're, they're calling out, okay, zone B has access lighting and they're lighting. And then like my people go in and do their thing and then everybody will clear and then they'll bring the actors in. And then we also have, um, a company that comes in in the morning and sanitizes everything. And then mm-hmm. people that walk around during the day, constantly sanitizing bathrooms, doorknobs and things like that. So, and then hand washing stations and, and pour, like hand sanitizer stations everywhere. Right, so right, right. it's, it, it's, it's a learning curve. It, you know, the first, the first couple of days were, were rocky, but I, it feels like we're into a, a rhythm now. That's cool. It's fascinating. Cause that, that's been the big, because we're in the process of prepping a movie right now and hopefully all that stuff comes together. And that's been the conversation because for me, filmmaking is always a communal thing. Like I love creating sets. I love creating environments where everybody hangs out. We all, you know, mm-hmm. eat together. We hang out. We do, we drink beers. We do our whole thing together. And it, it's a family thing because to get a movie green, <laughs> to get a movie greenlit, I always say this, it's like waking up one day, walking out into the garage and there's a Ferrari there. <laughs> right. Just like, cool, let's call up all our pals and get in the Ferrari. You know what I mean? And that's mm-hmm. kind of the vibe. And and so my hope is that hopefully, you know, vaccine and all that stuff happens soon. But it's nice to hear that they're working on a system that seems to be uh, doing its thing during this crazy, crazy world that we live in right now. Yeah, so. I think everybody really wants to get back to work and it's kind it's slowly happening right and we're starting to see bigger shows are due to come back this month and mm-hmm. and a lot of them are doing their stage stuff first uh but and then they're kind of roll out the stuff that might be more location based in it but i know a lot more people have started working in the last couple of weeks than more i started at the end of july mm-hmm. so that was pretty early and all, all told i didn't really know anybody at that point that was back. And yeah. so we were really early on that. And and we had had a, a meeting in June, a virtual meeting, just about safety protocols and, and just to kind of get the conversation going. And I was all excited and, you know, okay. And I was digging into stuff and then it was just like crickets for like another <laughs> month or so. And then finally it felt like all the things came together because there's so many new regulations. You have to submit a plan to the city and that has to be a approved and you have to talk to the unions about your COVID plan. And there's, there's a lot of things in place right now that are all meant to keep us safe. And, and it's great to know about them, but it just adds a little more time to get things sorted out and to actually get greenlit and be able to move forward. Well, yeah. And there's, then there's the insurance too, you know, like the whole, the whole insurance policy and making sure that you're doing everything so that the film could even be insured. 
is insane. Yeah. Um, but and then so does it slow down your shoot days? Are you guys do you feel like stuff just uh, takes a little bit longer because of all these the systems that are in place? A little bit. Uh, we're, you know, we're we're figuring it out. It's been, I think, again, the learning curve. It's you're we're, everything's pared back a bit. We're, we have to move methodically to stay safe. That was one thing we were taught in our training. And so they want us to just not rush and, and you know, be thoughtful and mm-hmm. keep your distance. And so that, that does take some time. So to try and get everything in a 10-hour day, because it's also reduced hours, yeah. um, it, it is challenging. But the AD did a really good job of scheduling stuff in a way to really spread it out and to make the days shootable. And so far we've been on track from what I've heard for the most part. Nice. Every well, day. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, uh, I, I want to say it's relieving, but it's also hopeful to hear that you, you guys are doing well and you guys have been at it. So that's good. That's good. Yes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's a very good thing. Where are we at right now? So we're, we're clocking in in about an hour. So I think we're sort of hitting that point. Um, I want to just say again, uh, thank you for taking the time. You are working right now. So it means a lot that you uh, took the time to come on and talk to us about stuff. Yeah, I was excited when I heard from David about, um, about it. And I thought, well, this is great because I love to talk about what I do. And and for people that might be thinking about getting into the industry or just love to hear about the stuff that goes on behind the scenes, I, I geek out on that stuff all the time. I'm always reading and mm-hmm. reading Perspective Magazine and, you know, the Cinematographer's Magazine. And I love hearing about other people's experiences. And so I'm, I'm happy to be here and be able to contribute a little bit. And, and speaking of that, this is usually the point in the show where we have our guests give advice to a lot of the younger listeners that are, that are thinking about getting into the business. So you made your transition into this from the ad world, right? Mm-hmm. And there's yeah. a big difference between uh, the ad world and the film world, correct? Correct. Yeah. And, and so in that, di- what do you think the major difference between those two is? It's really the corporate structure. Uh, I was working in a I was working in an office near Union Square in New mm-hmm. York and um, right off Fifth Avenue. And, you know, you're at a desk and you work eight hours at your desk and you've got your your people on the account side. I was a creative. So I was already in a creative field. I was designing retail and direct mail and signage, different things like that um, for mm-hmm. our brands and, and concepting campaigns for things we were pitching to get new clients. That was exciting. That was actually some of the most fun I've had because you really get to kind of be creative and, and, you know, think outside of the box. And Mm -hmm. so, and here I am doing something that's very much like that all the time. I just didn't know it at the time, but, um, (laughs) so it was what, what pulled me away from that was the structure and, it felt repetitive. It felt boring. Prior yeah. to the agency, I worked at a newspaper, a local daily newspaper, and I did graphic design for a lot of their mom and pop uh, advertisers. And I also laid out the paper every day um, and no sometimes way. would find images and things like that. Yeah. And so that was, and that's so heavy, heavy graphic software. So I have that background, which made my transition a little easier, I think. And I, I've been painting and drawing since I was in kindergarten. So I have, I've always had that artist's eye and that, that artist side to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I just didn't really, I think, know what to do with it or how to make it into a career that would 
support me. Um, and when I found filmmaking, I found that. And there was quite a bit of stuff I had to learn to be successful in this career. I didn't really know anything about construction when I first started out, but I made it my point to learn about that stuff and to also learn how to design in 3D. Mm. And I took many courses I've taken, and I still take them this to this day, at, now at more advanced level, but I I'm, love to learn. I love to increase my knowledge base. I just feel it, it's better and better. I've been doing some environmental design stuff, trying to utilize a Wacom tablet or mm -hmm. one of the monitors and learning some environmental design, almost almost akin to concept art to when you're looking at what they do for Black Panther or Battleship or Spider-Man, right? Where they have these concept artists that come in. I want to, that's the next thing I want to learn about. Mm. So I know how to manage those people when right, they are right, right. doing stuff for me. And, and, yeah. and also it's just so cool to be able to concept and visualize an alien planet or, you know, something, something so wild. Um, so the advice that I would give to someone looking to break in is learn as much as you can about every facet of it. And in addition to that, the best classroom you're going to have is being at work on a film set. Hmm. I, I learned a lot in, in my classes, but I, what I, when I really learned the most was being thrown into these jobs and having to figure stuff out and then learning from the people I'm working with and then finding those mentors that are willing to teach you and, That's and bring huge. you a little, yeah, bring you a little further along. Um, and, and I found that in some of my PAs that I like to try and help. And I'm still in touch with a lot of, I've had about three or four mentors along, along the way, and they've all been so crucial to my growth as a designer and a creative and so I think you need a little bit of all of that you've got to really like study and work at it you've got to get the onset experience and then you've got to find someone willing to tutor you to an extent. Okay, another good episode in the can. Hope you guys enjoyed it. Um, I had a really good time talking to Eve. Um, I, it's always fascinating when you sit down with somebody over the fucking internet, right? And you're trying to get them to loosen up. And in the beginning, it's kind of timid and you're sort of finding your footing. And then after an hour, you get into like uh, 35 minutes and it's like, okay, we're, we're kind of connecting now. Okay, this is great. And then you start to find the flow and then the show's over. <laughs> it sucks. <laughs> You know, I miss the days of being in the room with folks because that usually happens in the first 15 minutes. You don't have to wait 45 minutes for that. Uh, but I hope you guys enjoyed everything. She really shared a lot with us, which I love. It was really nice to hear her get nerdy uh, and excited about her, her craft and her career. Um, definitely go find her online, go to her website. Uh, she loves to talk to folks. She said that she loves to give access to people um and uh to give people an opportunity to learn more about what she does in her industry so definitely reach out to her and it's inspiring and it's great to hear that they're working right now literally working right now and so they're going through covid protocol and they're being safe uh and they figured out systems in order to keep this uh, industry going during this fucking chaos that we're sitting in right now so chin up 
the good stuff's coming. We're getting to the end, hopefully, light at the end of the tunnel. Um, we're going to get to the next stage, guys. So I'm optimistic. I'm excited. Thank you all for listening, as always. And I will see you next Tuesday. <laughs>